0: And welcome. We're glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. Hard to believe what a difference a week makes. Last week, we seemed like we were in the tundra, and today it feels like spring. I'll take today any day. We're glad you're here today. We're going to be looking at John chapter 5 in just a minute, the passage that was read a moment ago, John, the fifth chapter. I do want to express appreciation for your presence today, as always. If you're visiting, we are so happy that you're here. We're grateful that you've chosen to be here. We have a number of folks that watch our online service and we're very grateful to have them with us. And We appreciate the opportunity that we have to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking, as I said a moment ago, in John chapter 5. Specifically, we want to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. We live in a world of some 7 billion people. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's difficult to wrap our mind around the fact that on planet Earth, some 7 billion people reside. Among so many people, it's very easy to come to the conclusion, I'm just a number. I'm just a face in the crowd. There are so many people in our world today, they feel like they are nothing more than a number, just another ordinary face in the crowd. And it may be that's how you feel. When I look at John chapter 5, what stands out to me is that Jesus has the ability to look beyond the crowd Jesus has the ability to see the person and not just the crowd. So think about that for a minute. Even though we live live among a sea of people, in the eyes of the Lord, we are a human being. And the Lord sees us individually. And there's a tremendous value placed upon each and every soul. So let's look at John chapter 5 for a minute. Let's think for a minute or two about this idea of Jesus and His ability to see the person and not just the crowd. I want to begin by talking for a moment or two about the huge multitude that we read of in John 5. Listen to what John records. Jesus had been in Cana of Galilee. It was there that He had turned water into wine. And John tells us this was the very first miracle that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry. And so in chapter 5, the Bible says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Now, many believe that this was the feast of Passover. And the Passover was an extremely important feast kept by the Jews annually. And you recall, Jesus identified himself later as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. At verse 7. So there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate was that place where they brought animals through to sacrifice in the temple. And so the Bible says there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew, Bezda, having five porches. When you read this text, you need to understand, historians indicate or believe that these pools were viewed by people in the first century as having healing properties. We talk about hot springs. And I did a Google search, and there is a lot of medicinal value in what many call hot springs. Some use hot springs to medicate different types of skin conditions. Some have said that certain hot springs will help alleviate arthritis. And so in John chapter five, I think really that's the picture. Now these pools of water were covered by colonnades. And they allowed, or really, I guess, in this setting, there was an allowance made for multitudes of sick people to congregate. And they used, the, they used these pools for healing or for help, medicinally speaking. So I want to begin by, first of all, as we think about the huge multitude, and in verse 3, John said, And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Let's think for a moment about the people who were present on this occasion. They were hurting, weren't they? And there was, according to John, a diversity of pain among those who were present. You've got this huge multitude of people. And John says some of these people, they were blind, some were lame, some were paralyzed. Their bodies were withered, And I think about the diversity of pain that exists in our world today. And there are many, many people in our world today who are hurting significantly. Some are hurting physically, some mentally, others emotionally. And pain can ultimately create any number of other problems, particularly on our mental disposition. And so the diversity of pain and then the depth of pain. Now, you would, you would agree with me that there are many people who are hurting in our world today, but not everyone is hurting to the same degree. Do you remember in Job chapter 14, verse 1, when Job wrote, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job had experienced the loss of ten children. His health had been ravaged. He had lost a great deal of his wealth. His wife had literally turned her back on him. And so here is Job, a pitiful, suffering man who would deny the depth of his pain. And there are many, many people today, some of you possibly, who are hurting significantly in life. Every day is a battle. Every hour is a battle. And so as we think about these people who were hurting, I'm reminded also of the fact that these people who were present on this occasion, not only were they hurting, but they were hopeful. And you say, how so? Well, I think two ways. Number one, they were looking for a better life. Now drop down again and look at verse 3. The Bible says in these, that is, among these five pools of water lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Apparently from verse 7, they would get down in this water and that water would be therapeutic. Weren't they looking for a better quality of life? You know, there's a lot to be said for quantity in terms of years of life. But there's a lot more to be said about quality of life, isn't there? I mean, I've seen people who are bedridden. They can't eat. They can't really drink. They can't see. They have difficulty hearing. They have no quality of life. These people were looking for a better life. And you think about how many people in our world today who are looking for a better life. I promise you, there are people in our world today, they are looking for something better than what they have right now. Would you agree with that? Would you say that Jesus has the ability or the power to provide a better life? Do you remember Jesus in the book of John? There are seven I am statements. One of those I am statements found in chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus has the ability to give us a better life, and it is a quality life. I think these people were not only looking for a better life, they were looking for a blessing in life. Now you think about people in our world today who are struggling and hurting. The myriads of people in our world today Who are fighting every day to enjoy some semblance of what we call life. And think about the struggles that they encounter every day. And are there not people in our world today who feel if you if they were genuinely honest, would say, you know what, I just feel like I've been cursed. It seems like I take three steps forward and two backwards. I never see any progress. I never see, I never see any blessing come my way. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for a blessing in life. So let me ask you this. Does Jesus have the ability to give us a better life? The answer is yes, isn't it? Does Jesus have the ability to give us a blessed life? Yes, He does. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3 that every spiritual blessing resides in one place. You know where that one place is? It's in Christ. Paul said all spiritual blessings reside in the heavenly places in Christ. That means in Christ we can enjoy a blessed life. And here's the beauty of being in Christ. There are no inequalities in Christ. We're all the same, aren't we? When you look at what the Bible has to say about the problems that existed among the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Samaritans. There was racial tension. There was animosity between those groups of people. They didn't like each other. And yet the design of the church was to bring all together under one roof. That's called the church. So that there would be no distinction. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3, but those of us who have been baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ, Galatians 3, verse 27. He said in that context, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. He said we are all one in Christ. Now think about that for a minute. When you look at what the Lord has to offer, and think about these multitude, this multitude of people surrounding these pools, They're looking for a better life. They're looking for a blessing in life. And I promise you, there are people all over our globe. They're looking for the same thing. And the Bible assures us the Lord Jesus can give us a better life, and He can give us a blessed life. Matter of fact, when you talk about the Christian life, it's the best life because it is the blessed life. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we read about this huge multitude. But then secondly, John introduces us to the helpless man. Drop down a note if you would in verse 5. A certain man was there who had an infirmity. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. Let me just pause there for a minute. This man was disabled, wasn't he? The Bible says that he had some type of infirmity. That infirmity had been ongoing for 38 years. So I think first about his pitiful condition. Are there not some people in our world today because of their physical or emotional or mental state. They're a pitiful sight. I mean, aren't there people that you know that when you visit with them and you begin to either listen to them or you just evaluate where they are in life based on the circumstances surrounding their situation in life, don't you feel sorry for them? They're pitiful. This guy... This disabled man, I believe, really drew pity from the Lord. And the reason is because he was in a pitiful condition. But not only that, but he had a protracted condition. And by that, 38 long years. Somebody said to me years ago, we talked about the expression that we sometimes use, life is short. And he said, life's too short to do something you don't like to do. He said, but I look at it another way. Life is too long to do something you don't like doing. Now think about that for a minute. You know, we talk about the brevity of life and how quickly life gets away. But imagine if you can, dealing with some type of disability for 38 long years. Would that not be a grind? Day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. I mean, this guy has been disabled for 38 long years. Now, we've had our share of ailments and problems and illnesses, and some of you may be battling disease, but how many of us have been battling the same chronic condition for 38 long years? This guy's in a pitiful condition. And this condition has been prolonged over a period of time. Mark tells us about a lady that had been battling a blood condition for 12 years. And 12 years is a long time. And the Bible says that she had seen many physicians over the period of that time. She had spent everything that she had, but according to Mark she grew worse rather than getting better. Are there not people in our world today that go to this doctor and that doctor, they go to see this specialist and that specialist, but no change. No change whatsoever. 38 years, the same every single day. So I think about the disability of this man, but then also the disappointment of this man. Note, if you would, in verses 5 and 6 again, Note specifically his helplessness. This man had an infirmity 38 years, and the Bible says when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. Now, you know, there are some people, based on what they're battling in life, they're helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. Have you ever been around anybody like that? If they're going to eat, somebody's got to feed them. If they're going to have a, a sip of water, somebody's got to hold the cup with a straw. If they're going to be bathed, somebody's got to bathe them. If they're going to be turned in their bed, somebody's got to turn them. Now you talk about, you talk about a hopeless situation. And there are people in our world today who view life through those lens, the lens of hopelessness. And I think about any number of people in our world today who, spiritually speaking, in their heart of hearts, in their mind, they'll tell you, I have no hope. They don't feel like they've got any hope, they feel helpless. and their outlook is bleak. This guy was not just helpless, but he was hopeless. Note, if you would, the continuation. The sick man said to Jesus, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And so there's this sense of hopelessness. This therapeutic water is apparently available, but he can't get down into the water without help. So you think about the multitudes of people in our world today who are literally helpless and hopeless with regard to their outlook in life. Here's what I want you to understand. In Christ, everything can change. Through Christ, everything can change. I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus can give us a better life. He can give us a blessed life. And the reason is because Jesus offers us the best life, doesn't He? And Jesus is going to make a difference in the life of this man. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see. First, the huge multitude. Secondly, the helpless man. And thirdly, the helpful Messiah. When you think about Jesus, His ministry consisted of what? Three, three and a half years? And during the course of His ministry, What word would seem to sum up what the Lord did for for humanity? Wasn't He helpful? I mean, don't you see Jesus going from town to town, from place to place? Don't you see the Lord Jesus interacting with any number of people? And every time the Lord Jesus is around people, what is it He's trying to do? trying to help them, isn't He? He's trying to lift them up, give them a better life, give them a blessed life. Jesus is a difference maker, is He not? Yes, He is. And so, in this text, number one, we read of the concern of Jesus. Now, I said a minute ago that Jesus has the ability to see not just the crowd, but the person within the crowd. Imagine if you can... Being among a sea of people, and let's just say you're among thousands and thousands of people, would Jesus be able to pick you out of the crowd? Yes, He would. Would the Lord Jesus be able to see you among that sea of people? The answer is yes. In a world of seven billion people, Jesus sees you. And He's concerned. And I think about the concern of Jesus. His concern is evidenced, number one, by his interest in this man. Note, if you would, verse 6 again. Again, think about the context. There's a great multitude of people. And Jesus sees a man lying among that sea of hurting people. And the Lord Jesus knew he had been in that condition a long, long time. Was he interested in him? Yes, a thousand times over. So note, if you would, his inquiry. He asked this question. Do you want to be made well? Doesn't that say something about the Lord's interest in him? Where are you in life? Is it possible that in your heart of hearts... You don't feel like anybody's interested in you personally? Is it possible that there are friends or family members that have told you, I don't care about you. I'm not interested in what you're doing in where you're going. I don't care anything about your life. Sure there are, but not so with Jesus. We sang the song a moment ago, Does My Jesus Care? Oh, yes, He cares. What was it Peter said? And think about the Apostle Peter. Peter had the opportunity to spend about three and a half years with Jesus. And imagine being in the presence of Jesus day in, day out. And you're watching Jesus at work among people. And you're seeing Him interact and you notice His concern, His care. Does it strike you that Peter would write these words in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your care on Him? Why? Why? because He cares for you. Let me tell you, the Lord cares. He cares for all of us. And this person in the crowd, this afflicted man, a face in the crowd, a number if you please, Jesus picked him out. The Lord Jesus saw something in him What he saw in him, he sees in us. And you know what that is? It's called a soul. A soul worthy of redemption. So I think about the concern that Jesus showed. But not just his concern, but his compassion. In verse 8, listen to what Jesus said. And note the cure. The Lord said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Now, could I ask you a question? Did Jesus make a difference in his life? Was he in the right place at the right time around the right people? Yes, he was. The Lord Jesus is the difference maker in life. He made a difference in this man's life. And here's what I want you to see. He can make a difference in your life. And he can heal you, not physically speaking necessarily, but spiritually. He can take a life that has been broken, and I mean broken, and hurting by sin. And he can take that life and make something of it. Here's a guy that for 38 years, he's been battling some infirmity. 38 years, every day, probably the same. No hope, no help. Jesus comes along and just like that, everything's changed. When we come to Christ, when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything changes. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he's writing to people that had been living rogue lifestyle a rogue lifestyle? They had been living as rebels, so to, so to speak. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I think about the Lord's compassion. And time and again throughout the gospel narratives, you will see firsthand the compassion of Jesus. In Mark 1, a leper approached Jesus on one occasion. And lepers, they were considered the outcast of society. As a matter of fact, they had to cry, unclean, unclean. They were, as we say, the untouchable. And yet the Bible says, when this man came to Jesus, knelt before him, wanted to be cleansed, the Bible says Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. He made a difference in his life, didn't he? So I read about the fact that Jesus cured this man, and then he cautioned him. Now in verse 10 and following, the Jews were outraged that Jesus had performed this miracle on the Sabbath day. What they didn't understand was that the very one who performed this miracle was as Matthew said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, the Lord even of the Sabbath. This man didn't violate the Sabbath. The law stipulated that they were not to commercially work on the Sabbath. To take up his bed and walk could not be equated to that. And so they asked him, or rather verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. This man said, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who's the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that that place. Now in verse 14, Jesus finds this man in the temple. And I would assume that this man went to the temple Probably one of the reasons was to give thanks to God. And Jesus found him in the temple and cautioned him. He said, you've been made well. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. You know, there's something worse than being being afflicted with some type of physical malady for 38 years. That something worse is called sin and the consequences of a sinful life. And so Jesus cautions him. But you think about in closing, think if you would about what a difference the Lord made in this guy's life. And what a difference the Lord can make in your life. Now as I said a moment ago, you might feel like you're just a number. You might think, you know what, I'm just... I'm just a face in the crowd, just an ordinary Joe. Let me tell you what, in the eyes of God, everybody, and I want to underscore that everybody is somebody. Do you believe that? Do you believe everybody is somebody? I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that you today, no matter where you are in your life spiritually, you are somebody in the eyes of God. Listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at Paul. Paul had done so many things to the cause of Christ that adversely affected the work of the church, the growth of the church. He was intent on persecuting Christians. And yet after his conversion, he talked about Christ and what Christ meant to him. And he said, speaking of Christ, who loved me, who gave himself for me. Paul, do you think you were somebody? Yes. Yes. Are you somebody? Absolutely. This guy, this man, among a sea of people, a multitude of people, and Jesus has the ability to single him out. The Lord Jesus has the ability to see the person and not just the crowd. He sees you today. And listen, He knows where you are spiritually. He knows if you feel helpless. He knows if you feel hopeless. He knows if you're living in sin. And here's, here's the good part. He knows there's something better waiting on you. That something better is the gospel. A changed life. So what would you need to do? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If we come to Christ, then we enjoy fellowship with God, don't we? We enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ that washes away all sins. So how do we do that? Well, we've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In John 8, one of his I am statements, Jesus said, except you believe that I am. He said, you'll die in your sins. To believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And then to be willing to repent of your sins, to walk away from that way of life. To confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Jesus, to be the Son of God. To be immersed in water so all your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. That's the start. That's where it all begins. And then to be faithful until death with the promise, the crown of life. So today, where are you spiritually? Is Jesus in your life? He's not in your life, won't you make him a part, won't you make him your life, not just a part, won't you make him your life today, this hour, right now, won't you do it as we stand and sing.